0: Our gospel reading this morning is John 15 verses 15 through 17. This is a part of Jesus in his conversation with his disciples in the upper room the night before he goes to the cross. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear your word. Lord, help us to receive your word into our lives. Lord, by your word and your spirit. May you continue to change us ever more, even today, into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Looking then at Romans chapter nine, verses six through nine, Paul, uh, right in the church of Rome, uh, talks about those who are descended from Abraham and what it is that how people might take that differently. Here is a part of that conversation. It says it is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated At the appointed time I will return, and Sarah will have a son. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, we are going to look at uh, a section from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and we're going to look at it in three ways. First, we're just going to look at it and see how it fits into the context of the whole big story of the Bible that we've been going through to this point. That part's going to be easy. Then, we're going to look at two other kind of themes that show up in here uh, that, if you are anything like me, may make you a bit uncomfortable. So, pews should come with seatbelts, strap yourselves in, here we go. Genesis 18, um, verses 1 through 15, says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may, wash, may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you may, can be refreshed, and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into, into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three says of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Okay. So how does this story, first of all, fit in to the whole context of the whole uh, story we've been seeing so far? We began, of course, with uh, Genesis 1, with God creating everything and everyone and everything was good and we have people living in a place prepared by god for them and in perfect relationship with him and with each other and with everything and then it all falls apart you turn the page and we see them turning away from god deciding that they know best rather than what god has said And once this happens, everything breaks down. The relationship between people and God breaks down. The relationship between people and each other breaks down. The relationship between people and all creation breaks down. And then the next thing that happens um, is in the midst of God saying, here's what are going to be the consequences of this and all the brokenness that that will bring. In the midst of all that, as he's talking then to the serpent who... uh, led them astray. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so from this moment on, there's the, the problem has been set up. We know what the problem is, this brokenness that exists. But now there's also this promise that God is going to fix it. And that this is going to come through a woman who's going to bear a child someday. So, well, who's that going to be? And the rest of the story, we're kind of wondering, who's that going to be? And we go through and we uh, read about all the descendants of uh, Adam and Eve and how things go there, all the way down to Noah. But it's still not yet. It's not any of them. And then we finally get to the point where things have uh, really devolved. We have the the flood to kind of wash everything clean, get a fresh start again, and it still has not gotten rid of the problem. We still have the same problem, and we're still waiting for the same solution. And then in chapter 12, we have the Lord calling just a guy named Abram. And this is where we see it's going to be through this guy. It's through him that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, we don't know yet. <laughs> and so we continue the story, and as, uh, and as we go through that, we see that um, Abram's not really sure how that's going to happen either. And we see him sometimes being more faithful, sometimes being more faithless. We see him at one point, he and his wife decide, well, Maybe it is going to come through me and not you. And so go with the Egyptian slave, Hagar. And he has a child with her. And God has to come back to him again and say, no, no, no. (laughs) Not like that. But it's been a lot of years. And we looked last week at God coming to Abram again and making this promise to him again. It is going to be through you and it's going to be through your wife. But it's been 13 years. The child he already had with Hagar is 13 years old at this point. And Abram and Sarai are like 90. She's like 90, he's like 99, something like that. That's too old. And yet, this is the promise. And so when we see uh, the Lord appearing to Abraham, who got his name changed in chapter 17, so now Abraham, the father of multitude, comes to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and he makes this promise now to both of them because it's always been for both of them. This promised seed, this promised one who's going to be uh, the one to fix everything and bless all the nations, is going to come through Abraham and Sarah. That is how this fits into the whole uh, story so far. It's not just some man and some woman who are going to have a child. This is a particular man and a particular woman who have been chosen by God to have a particular child (laughs) who is going to carry on this line that will lead to one day the one who will bless all nations so that's how it fits into everything and spoiler alert that's going to be jesus down the road (laughs) if you're not real clear on that go to matthew chapter one (laughs) and just read there and it's connected abraham to david all the way through to jesus and um, that he is this one that god has promised so that's how the this passage kind of connects in with everything and as i said that's the easy part now's where it gets uncomfortable or at least it does for me and that's when it comes to the way in which abraham and sarah each respond when god shows up in um look first at how Sarah responds, because I think that one kind of makes sense to us. How is it that Sarah responds when she hears the promise that she's going to have a baby at age 90? She laughs, right? It's funny. <laughs> 90 years old, I'm going to have a baby? <laughs> I don't think so. And so she laughs. And I think that we can relate to that. Maybe not to being 90 and being told we're going to have a baby, but relate to hearing something that is just absurd. And you just take it as a joke. Like, (laughs) no, that's not real. We know what that's like. I think we also know what it's like to be afraid when we get called out on something. This is a particularly uncomfortable part, because you have Sarah laughing, understandably, on the one hand, um, and then being called out. Sarah, Sarah was afraid, so she lied. Oh, I didn't laugh, and then it gets even more awkward, but he said, yes, you did laugh. Like, do you really have to go there? Do you have to make it that in your face about it? But this is what's happening, is you have uh, Sarah, who is very much thinking in normal, worldly terms, and she is interacting with a God who created her, who knows her better than she knows herself, and who isn't going to let her get away with the way that she's being. Her laughter seems appropriate, because it's a ridiculous idea that she have a baby except for one thing. You know what the one thing is that makes her laughter inappropriate? This is not the first she's heard of this. <laughs> God has been making this promise to Abraham again and again. He's going to have a child. And we just saw in chapter 17, Abraham now has been given the sign of circumcision as a sign of this of this promise that it's not only going to be through Abraham but through Sarah as well Sarah knows she knows that this is what God has been promising to her and so now when he shows up and says oh and by the way it is going to happen and it's going to happen soon instead of laughing as though it's something absurd she ought to be ready wouldn't you think and go all right, now's the time here we go (laughs) She's not. She still hears it as absurd. I find that uncomfortable. (laughs) I think there are things that we have been told again and again that if God showed up and said, all right, now's the time, we would go, oh, wait, really? That's happening? When we ought to be ready. It also gets uncomfortable then when he calls her on it and says, yes, you did laugh. Taking no part in dishonesty. She says, I did not laugh. And he just calls her on it. Yeah, you did. I know you. <laughs> and yet still, he has chosen to use her, uh, to bless the world. I find that encouraging. The other part is Abraham's response. It's kind of easy for us to look at uh, Sarah and her laughing and going, yeah, we get it. And, you know, okay, maybe maybe I would do that. Maybe I wouldn't do that. I kind of look down on her and that makes me feel better. Um, But with Abraham anybody here do what Abraham does? This is amazing. This guy is 99 years old, and the Lord comes to him. Does he know at this point that it is the Lord that's coming to him? No. No. In fact, the way in which uh, the conversation goes, Abraham is acting like these are three strangers. At the beginning of this, and then it's, you know, as time moves on, kind of clues into who he's talking to, but at the beginning, he just looks up, and he sees three men standing nearby, and he sees these three strangers, and what does he do? How does he react to three strangers standing nearby where he lives? Extreme hospitality. I find this uncomfortable. (laughs) Extreme hospitality. He welcomes them. He goes out of his way to prepare a meal for them, to give them water, to wash, milk uh, to drink, a calf that he prepares, bread to eat, And he does it all quickly. (laughs) He goes to them. Doesn't wait till they show up at his door. He sees them and he goes out to them. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. Bowed low to the ground. And then encourages them to come to his house. Let me do all these things for you. (laughs) Extreme hospitality. I say I find this uh, uncomfortable because we tend in uh, modern evangelical Christianity in the United States not to place a priority on extreme hospitality, but instead to place a priority on safety. when we see strangers, our instinct often is to think I need to protect myself or my family from them because they might be dangerous. And that's true. They might be dangerous. But what we see from Abraham is him going out and welcoming them and providing for them And here's, I'm telling you, I find this uncomfortable. (laughs) But as you look past Abraham, you could say, "Oh, well, this is just a one-time thing. He did that, and it was, you know, maybe he saw that there was some indication why it was okay in this instance." It's really hard to get around the whole rest of the Bible, though. (laughs) where this same theme keeps coming back again and again as those who are the people of God, who are those who uh, share the same faith of Abraham and who basically live in a way which says, because I have been welcomed by God, I am going to welcome others. Because I have generously received from God, I'm going to generously give to others. We see this in places... Like uh, in Leviticus, this is weird. It says, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and stranger, so they can continue to live among you. You hear that? It just assumes they're helping the strangers. (laughs) And so, if an Israelite becomes poor, we'll help them the same way you would a stranger. You know how you treat a stranger, right? But, oh. maybe i'm not sure that's how we ought to be treating each other getting more uncomfortable you have jesus in matthew chapter 25 and you remember when he talks about when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Remember this? And then he starts telling them, here's what you have done or not done for me. It says things like, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, etc. cetera. And I say, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? So, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the same thing for those who didn't. And he says, I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. So when did we see you, a stranger, and did not help you? Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. We tend uh, to read over passages like this uh, with Abraham and this extreme hospitality. I think because it is uncomfortable and it does challenge uh, the way the world makes sense to us. And yet it seems to be what the call has been from the beginning. And this is one of those moments where Abraham doesn't miss it. This is one of the times where Abraham really gets it right. We often talk about, you know, the two great commandments. you know, the Love God and love others, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All right. And then the man asks, and who is my neighbor? And do you remember how Jesus answers it? With a story of someone showing extreme hospitality to a stranger. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? In Hebrews, the author gives this as one of the concluding exhortations. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You know what he's talking about? Abraham. <laughs> Didn't even know it. But this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 25. When you do this to strangers, when you uh, are actually loving your neighbor, you're not doing it because of what they can do back for you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You're doing it for me, you're doing it because you're my people. You're doing it because you understand that this is what I have called you to. Now, getting back to Sarah. I suspect, for a lot of us, we hear this kind of call to extreme hospitality as the people of God, and we react like Sarah, and we just laugh at it. That is not the way the world works. No, that is ridiculous. If you actually were to live like this, I mean, just imagine the consequences. Yep. I'm reminded of when... uh, pastor years ago was telling of the time he went to Israel and before he went um, there were people asking the person leading the trip is it safe to go? Is it safe to go to Israel right now with all that's going on? Is it safe? To go to Jerusalem of all places? And his response was safe? No it's not safe. When Jesus went there they killed him. Good point. (laughs) We often claim we want to follow Jesus when really what we're wanting to follow is our own desires for comfort and safety and security. And, hey, maybe we can be a little nicer along the way too. jesus calls us to a very different way than the way of the world and it's actually the way of the cross this is why he says anyone wants to follow me they must deny themselves daily and take up their cross and follow me how in the world have we heard a message where he says you have to deny yourself and take up your cross how have we heard that as a message of safety and security in this world But we have, haven't we? He's calling us to something else. He says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We are going to see in a couple of weeks the way that Sodom uh, demonstrated their hospitality to strangers. We'll see quite a contrast. There are a variety of ways uh, to respond to strangers. As the people of God, we ought to be the most welcoming, the most generous the most extremely hospitable of anybody. I tell you, I find this uncomfortable. And I want you to know that this is not a, uh, the kind of preaching where I'm saying, look, guys, I've got this all figured out. This is how I do everything, and you people need to do better. It is not that at all. This is us together as the people of God saying, how do we live with this kind of call on our lives? How can we help each other to conform together more and more into who God is calling us to be rather than into the ways of the world that seem so normal? In my prayer, that we would hear this challenge. This challenge to extreme hospitality. And instead of laughing it off like Sarah, we would take it seriously and help each other to live more like Abraham in this moment, but really more like Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for all that you have given to us in the ways that you have welcomed us in. Not because we deserved to be welcomed. But because of your extreme hospitality, your generosity, your love. Lord, we pray that those of us who have um, received would be those who give. In order we find ourselves uh, becoming more stingy and less generous, God, help that to be a sign to us that we need to turn back again to who you are what you have given for us. And God, when we find ourselves becoming more fearful of those who are strangers rather than recognizing the stranger as a neighbor to be loved, let that be a sign to us to come back again to your love for us, your love for the world, your call on us as people who bear your name, or to represent your extreme hospitality well. Lord, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. It's not in the temptation in deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.